Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, internet trolling, throat singing and the coming beard plague. But first up, here's the news. Crowdsourced pocket moonshots. A team on the crowdfunding site Kickstarter hopes to raise £290,000 to send thousands of tiny spacecraft to the moon. For as little as £199 British pounds, one of those spacecraft could be yours. The spacecraft are tiny disks, 7 centimetres across, weighing less than a gram and as thin as a piece of paper. But they'll carry solar cells for power, a miniature computer, a whole suite of sensors and a memory metal radio antenna that also serves to keep the disks tautly in shape. The disk can even act as tiny solar sails. In fact, each Scout boasts computing power comparable to that of the Voyager spacecraft and Apollo flight computers. Thousands of Scouts will be loaded onto the CubeSat mothership for the journey to the moon, where Scouts will be released from orbit for landing. CubeSats are 30 by 10 by 10 centimetres, and over 70 of them have been successfully launched into low Earth orbit over the last 10 years. By taking several months to reach the moon instead of several days, the craft don't need much fuel. You'll be able to track your wafer-thin spacecraft on a mission control smartphone app, including an augmented reality function where you just point your device at the sky to find your scout. The scouts could potentially record basic data like magnetic fields, temperature or pressure, and send the observations back home. If you're technical enough to play with Arduino hardware and software, you can run your own software on your scout. In the old days, people used to just send up rockets with digital cameras. Now, hobbyists can send a pocket spacecraft to the moon, if the Kickstarter project makes its funding target. Pirates to protect against phone spies. Worried about being spied on through your phone by corporations and spies? Pirate Bay co-founder Peter Sund is launching a phone text message service that he claims will be safe from professional snooping. The new app will be called Hemless, which is Swedish for secret. They raised the full 100,000 US dollars they needed in just 36 hours of crowdfunding. Co-founder Linus Olsen warns that protection of your privacy is never 100% certain, but they aim to build an app so secure that even they can't listen in on your messages. Hemless want the software to be easy enough for their parents to use because the tools only make a difference if everybody can use them. The team use crowdfunding to eliminate any suspicion of a corporate agenda about selling users' data. Because of the donations, they aim for a free, easy-to-use and secure app. When completed, the app will be free to download for iPhone and Android. 
but users will have to pay to unlock advanced features. The other week, listening to Joe Wolf and Zhou Min Cheng talk about the harmonic singing used by Tuvan throat singers, wouldn't you like to know how to make those amazing sounds yourself? Here's Noel Hanna with a lesson in Tuvan throat singing. Do not adjust your set. The sound you are hearing is what is known as throat or harmonic singing. While it may not sound like the top 40 music you're used to, harmonic singing is a popular form of music in many parts of the world, most notably Tuva. Tuva? Never heard of it? Well, this small country in the Russian Federation is home to a nomadic people thought to have invented forms of harmonic singing in an effort to replicate sounds from nature. Since then, throat singing, or kume as it is known locally, has become something of a national pastime, with regular international throat singing festivals held. In order to explain the basics, I'll first need to tell you how we as humans make sounds. Basically, there are two types of sounds we can make. By passing air through a gap in the lips, we can whisper or whistle. Speaking and singing make use of the vocal folds or vocal cords as you might have heard them called. These are folds of flesh in the throat that can be made to vibrate at different frequencies by tightening the muscles around them. In speech or singing, we produce many frequencies of differing amplitudes in the range 0.2 to 8 kilohertz. So how does this apply to throat singing? Well, the vibration produced by the vocal cords sends pulses of air into the mouth where they can be modified to alter the sound before it comes out. It is possible to emphasize one of the higher frequencies so that it is heard above the others. By changing the shape of the mouth, different notes can be chosen. If you listen to the next example, you can hear a low drone accompanied by a very high-pitched sound. Now I have you interested, 
you're going to want to know how to make some of these sounds yourself. Luckily, it's not too hard to get started. Open your mouth and sing a note as you would normally. Then, bring your tongue up to the roof of your mouth, forming a cavity at the back. When you sing again, you will hear that the note has been modified. By experimenting with the position of your tongue and the shape of your lips, you should be able to isolate some high-frequency sounds. As I mentioned before, harmonic singing is popular in many parts of the world. In countries such as Mongolia, China, Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, similar styles of throat singing can be heard to tuva, whereas Canada, South Africa and Italy have developed very different styles. Interestingly, studies of Tibetan monks who use harmonic singing as part of their meditation have shown that their brainwaves are in sync with the frequencies that they are singing. It looks like there might be more to it than you think, so you better get practicing. And that was Noel Hanna instructing us in Tuvan throat singing. When the routine bites hard and ambitions are low And the resentments rise high but emotions won't grow And we are changing ways, taking different roads Then love, love will tear the apart again Love, love will tear the apart again That was Yatka with Love Will Tear Us Apart Tuvan style. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Do not feed the trolls. First, the mainstream media hijacked the word hackers from being about people who solved problems through play and intuition with computers, conflating the concept with what everyone else used to call crackers, people who cracked systems to break into them. Thus confusing the public and politicians into thinking anyone technically adept is a criminal. Not all hackers are crackers. Not everyone who knows how to shoot is a serial killer. Now we have the same stupidity over trolling and cyberbullying. And the tabloids have done such a good job corrupting the culture of the internet to scare the public that now academics are getting onto the bandwagon. Fortunately, Professor Claire Hardacre has come to some accurate conclusions. Trolling is a form of practical joking, usually online, though I've seen it used in real life at the question and answer section of public talks. It's a put-on, a form of social deception that can be used for entertainment, for instruction, or for bullying and harassment. It can be friendly or hostile. Either way, a troll is trying to push your buttons, just like any practical joker. If you pick up on what's going on, you may laugh and disengage. 
Or you may get upset over tiny matters and waste time trying to be right. Correcting someone who knows very well that they're wrong about something that's very far away from what you set out to talk about in the first place. Bullying online, on the other hand, is malicious and nasty. Just like in real life, you don't always have the option of walking away. Now, hold on to your hats. Would you believe there's a journal of language aggression and conflict? No? How about a journal of politeness? Are we being trolled about trolling? Claire Hardacre, a lecturer from the Arts and Social Science Faculty at the University of Central Lancashire, published Trolling in Asynchronous Computer-Mediated Communication, from user discussions to academic definitions in the Journal of Politeness. Her research question was, what academic definition of trolling can be extracted from user discussions? So, Hardacre defines a troll as someone who constructs the identity of sincerely wishing to be part of the group in question, including professing or conveying pseudo-sincere intentions, but whose real intention is to cause disruption or to trigger or exacerbate conflict for purposes of their own amusement. She came to this understanding after trolling through a nine-year collection of commentary in an online discussion group about horseback riding. As you do. She focused her attention on uses of the word troll and trolling as her method of understanding the meaning of the words. Here's the wisdom she distilled from the horseback riding discussions. Trolling can be frustrated if users correctly interpret an intent to troll and are not provoked into responding. Trolling can be thwarted if users correctly interpret an intent to troll but counter it in such a way as to neutralise the success of the troller. Trolling can fail if users do not correctly interpret an intent to troll but aren't provoked. Or trolling can succeed if users are deceived into believing the troller's pseudo-intentions and are provoked into responding sincerely. And finally, people can mock troll. They can do what appears to be trolling with the aim of enhancing or increasing group cohesion. So this year she's published a new paper titled, uh, not to be nitpicky, but the past tense of drag is dragged, not drug. An overview of trolling strategies which she published in the Journal of Language Aggression and Conflict. Hardacre identified these seven tactics used by trollers. Digressing from the topic at hand, especially into sensitive topics not necessarily overtly argumentative, this tactic frustrates its targets with its pointlessness and circularity. Digression into sensitive topics triggers the strongest reactions. Hypocriticizing, especially for a fault that the critic then displays themselves. A simple tactic, often this is pedantic criticism of grammar spelling, or punctuation in a post which itself contains proofreading errors to provoke exasperated responses from others. Antipathizing. By taking up an alienating position, asking pseudo-naive questions, this tactic is heavily reliant on deceiving the group it's aimed at and covertly manipulates egos, sensitivities, morals and feelings of guilt, usually to trigger emotional responses. It can also create moral dilemmas. 
endangering others by giving dangerous advice, encouraging risky behaviour, a trolling strategy designed to masquerade as helper advice while actually causing harm or forcing others to respond to prevent harm relies on the target's social responsibility and moral obligation. Shocking others by being insensitive about sensitive topics, explicit about taboo topics. This appears to succeed mainly due to the strength of feeling provoked by deeply personal and extraordinarily hurtful nature of the troll's insensitivity. It triggers a desire to retaliate that's stronger than the desire to deny the troll the satisfaction of a response. Aggressing others by insulting, threatening or otherwise plainly attacking them without adequate provocation. This is open and deliberate aggression without any clear justification with the aim of antagonising its target into retaliating. Cross-posting, sending the same offensive or provocative message to multiple groups and then waiting for the response. The message sent by the troll in this tactic is usually off-topic and irrelevant. This deliberately careless spamming tactic can result in potentially thousands of users being inundated with unwanted or irrelevant messages as people reply. Jonathan Bishop, founder of the Centre for Research into Online Communities and E-Learning Systems, thinks that Claire Hardacre's analysis is too simplistic, because she hasn't taken into account the 12 types of trolls he's identified in 2008, nor the ways that one type of troll can influence another. He said, Dr. Hardacre's model does not see both sides of the issue, which is why one of my types of troll are, are more predisposed to posting a certain way, it only has its effect by antagonising a different type of troller. You need to understand both sides of the story to understand why trolling has the effect it does. Bishop makes a clear distinction between those who take part in trolling to harm, who could be called flame trollers, and those who post constructively to help others, called kudos trollers, where a flame is a nasty or insulting message that is directed at those in online communities. Bishop's types of trolls are the lurker. Driven by surveillance forces, lurkers make silent calls by accident. Clicking on adverts or like buttons using referrer spoofers, modifying opinion polls, or user kudos scores. The elder. Driven by escapism forces, an elder is an outbound member of the community, often engaging in trolling for newbies, where they wind up newer members, often without questioning from other members. The troll. Driven by chaos forces, a troll takes part in trolling to entertain others and bring some entertainment to an online community. The big man. Driven by order forces, a big man does trolling by posting something pleasing to others in order to support their worldview. The flirt. Driven by social forces, a flirt takes part in trolling to help others be sociable, including through light teasing. The snurt. Driven by anti-social forces, a snurt takes part in trolling to harm others for their own sick entertainment. My heart bleeds for you, Jenny. Driven by forgiveness forces, a My Heart Bleeds For You Jenny takes part in trolling to help people see the lighter side of life and to help others come to terms with their concerns. The Avenger. Driven by vengeance forces, an Avenger does trolling in order to trip someone up so that their true colours are revealed. The Chatroom Bob. Driven by existential forces, a Chatroom Bob takes part in trolling to gain the trust of other members in order to exploit them. The Ripper. Driven by thanotic forces, 
a ripper takes part in self-deprecating trolling in order to build a false sense of empathy from others. The Wizard Driven by creativity forces, a wizard does trolling through making up and sharing content that has humorous effect. The Iconoclast Driven by destructive forces, an iconoclast takes part in trolling to help others discover the truth, often by telling them things completely factual, but which may drive them into a state of consternation. They may post links to content that contradicts the worldview of their target. Jonathan Swift, in 1729, wrote a satirical article called A Modest Proposal for Preventing the Children of Poor People from Being a Burden to Their Parents or country, and for making them beneficial to the public. Swift suggests that impoverished Irish people might ease their economic troubles by selling their children as food for rich gentlemen and ladies. His article mocked heartless attitudes towards the poor as well as the Irish policy in general. As a result, straight-faced satire is now sometimes referred to as a modest proposal. Because it's straight-faced satire that could draw you in before you realised it was satirical, and because it's pushing emotional buttons to shake up people's worldview, it was a form of beneficial trolling. Back in the days when the news groups on Usenet were the only discussion groups on the internet, I wrote a straight-faced satirical article called Militant Non-Smoking – A Modest Proposal. In the article, I over-exaggerate the unpleasantness of smoking for non-smokers, as the title suggests. I propose that non-smokers get militant and douse the flames of lit cigarettes with water pistols. I cross-posted it to alt.conspiracy and alt.drugs, which seemed appropriate. I had hilarious replies from smoking Americans who didn't get the joke, threatening me with shooting or a beating, or warning me that smokers are all built like Schwarzenegger and would beat me up. One of those people wrote to me over a decade later, saying that he quit smoking and now thought my article was pretty funny. Only one person responded with humour and suggested water pistols could also hold solvents, and joked about his flammatory suggestion. I'll throw a link to my modest proposal in the original replies on diffusionradio.com. Much later, I saw a Simpsons episode where the character Artie Ziff actually goes around following the suggestion in my modest proposal and squirting cigarettes with water pistols. Do you think I was trolling? Write to science at diffusionradio.com and tell me what you think. I'll also put up a link to my favourite troller, David Thorne, who's written several books and a very popular website which details his hilarious communications with people on the impossible to read out loud 27b-6.com, where the slash is naturally S-L-A-S-H. And now here's a little bit of whimsy I wrote back in 2006. Gene therapy offers us the chance to change the genes that tell our body to suffer an inherited illness such as diabetes or myopia, for genes that make us healthy. What might it be like to use this technology to swap out just about any genes we don't like for new ones that we like better? Scraping away facial hair every morning is a ritual men in most of the world go through every day, if they don't want to grow a beard. However, some communities of Native Americans and Native Canadians are populated with men who have eyebrows, but no beards or moustaches. They are manly men who just don't need to shave to choose to be beardless. The skin on their chin has genes that don't react to the testosterone in their blood and don't tell it to grow beard and moustache hair. 
they have the same levels of testosterone as bearded men. If I were a genetic engineer, I could use this information to relieve men of the chore of shaving away their unwanted beards. If you put these beardless genes into a limited virus and applied this therapeutic virus to your face, then it would replace the beard genes for the beardless genes in a controlled way. The virus could be instructed to stay alive just long enough to convert the genes in the facial skin to be beardless, and then stop. No more morning scraping of the face. But wait, what if you change your mind and would like to grow a moustache or a beard sometime later? Well, then you just apply a recombinant virus containing the bearded gene to your face and your beard would start growing again. Of course, you have to take into account the market forces. Naturally, men won't want to wait for nature to take its course. There'll be a demand for fast beard growth. So you'd apply some extra gene tweaking to make sure the beard growing skin didn't require testosterone, but just grew hair really fast, for long enough for a beard. You could apply the viral lotion at night and wake up the next morning with a full beard or moustache. Of course, there may be mistakes. People may look back on my invention in the decades ahead and speak of the Great Beard Plague. If the virus mutated into a contagious form, then women and children may wake up the next morning with a beard. Bearded babies. Beards as far as the eye could see on every face. The cure would be the application of the original beardless gene viral lotion. If the founder hasn't been lynched or put in jail, he could make lots of money. I like the clean shaven look personally. It's fantastic that's for good, women. Mm. You know, your bikini line, you don't have to get it waxed. Yeah, that's you a good point. You don't spend all that money. It's fantastic. I'm donating. And that's all from us this time on Diffusion. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network to 16 different stations and syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station. Ask your local community radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the show was Noel Hanna with Tuvan Throat Singing from 2005 and the comments on the Beard Plague from 2006, Sasha Seltzer and Jackie Hayes. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Bedroom so cold, turned away in your sight. Is my timing that flawed? Our respect runs so dry. Yet there is still this appeal that we kept through our lives. Yeah.
Love, 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 love